Hello, I'm Pete Raby, and you are listening to the Leadership Learns podcast. Today, I'm joined by Ed Mitton, co-founder of Business for Good, a non-profit focused on addressing the wealth gap in America. Ed's 25-year background in marketing has seen him create three companies with revenue totals in the hundreds of millions of dollars, laying the foundation for his non-profit work. Ed, it's great to have you with me today. I've been looking forward to the conversation, and it does really sound like you're doing some amazing work. I'd love to hear how that career in healthcare marketing led to where you are today. Sure. No, that's great. Um, thank you for having me. So when I went to uh, university, I I uh, wanted to go to medical school, and uh, my grades weren't good enough, so I ended up having to pivot and try to find a different career. I wanted to be in healthcare and and really enjoyed it. Both my parents worked in healthcare. And uh, through a series of jobs and evolutions, I, I entered into the marketing space and started several companies. Uh, right now, I, I'm the CEO of a company called the Finger Paint Group, which uh, we started on a card table, uh, similar to, to your business back in 2008, and started on a card table. And fast forward to today, we're doing $200 million in revenue and about 800 employees around the world. So it's been a, a lot of fun. One of the things that that I think has been sort of our secret sauce is that we really have built the company around this idea of empathy, empathy for our customers, empathy for our staff members and their families, um, and empathy for the communities that that we live in and, and feeling that we, we are very blessed and uh, want to give back in ways that that are meaningful. Absolutely. Yeah, it sounds incredibly interesting. And it was it was a looking at the book that you've written, Wealthy and White, it was certainly one of those those titles of a book that kind of right. grabs your attention immediately. And I must say, um, and it would be really interesting to get a bit of an overview of, 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 of what you wanted to put together in that book. Yeah, so I knew that the uh, title Wealthy and White would ha- have some people thinking I'm an arrogant jerk. Uh, but what I wanted to basically do was to show people that you know, if you look at in the United States last year, we gave away $476 billion to various nonprofits and charities. And yet the homeless shelters are, are busier than ever. The uh, the food lines are, you know, down the street for food pantries. What we're doing currently isn't working. And I, I felt like uh, we can't rely on government to fix this. We can't rely on nonprofits to fix it, although they do God's work. But it's, it's people that are that have significant wealth that need to reach back into the communities and, and try to pull people up the income curve and help them, you know, reach for that dream that has eluded so many communities that have been forgotten, especially in the States. I'd be really interested to hear, I mean, like growing a business to 800 employees, 200 million in revenue, Ed, no mean feat, right? And that I've no doubt would have taken a hell of a lot of time, effort, energy, learns and everything in between. The societal impact piece, is, is that something you've always done in anger with your businesses? Is it something that you got better at when you were more, when you had more capital, when you had more money that you could throw at these things? It'd be interesting to hear when you got started with it, really. Giving back and philanthropy was baked into the fabric of all the companies I started. At Finger Paint, one of our, I think our 30th or 40th employee was a head of philanthropy, um, which is Odd, considering it's not a billable position, you don't make money on it, and you know, as when you have thirty people, you're still struggling, struggling for survival. So, um, but I wanted a company that gave back to the communities. I wanted a company that that um, tried to make the world a, a better place, and and also, you know, a lot of the staff, especially the younger uh, workers, they want to join a company that is trying to make a difference. You know, it's not all about the money. Um, 
you know, and uh, so it was a good recruiting tool, but that's not why we did it. We did it because it feels great to give back and help others. And, you know, we obviously didn't have the same financial resources that I had once I sold part of my business, but we could find ways to either donate our time, our resources, sit on nonprofit boards, write checks where we could. We would do a community service day every year with the entire staff. Um, one example of, of giving back that I love is, is uh, we put a giant coat rack outside of one of our offices and basically had a big sign. If you have a coat, leave one. If you need one, take one. And we would have a couple of hundred coats be put on there and they'd be gone in a couple of days. Um, didn't cost us any money. People had coats in their closets that they weren't using. And it was just a way to sort of address a, a, you know, a challenging situation very simply. There are so many causes right. that need cash. There's so many causes that need people's time. Um, it'll be really interesting to hear your your journey and your learns so far, Ed, when it comes to, if you're a business that goes, yeah, absolutely, I don't think we do enough here, or we really want to have 2024 be in the year where we really get our, our game together when it comes to our societal impact. What would your advice be of, of, of where to begin? Yeah, I would. The, the first thing that we used to always do, and we did it once a year, is survey the staff and find out what causes were important to them. And, uh, you know, typically it would come back pretty similar every year. It would be around ch- children, children's health and well-being. It would be around um, homelessness. And the other one that always came back were pets, um, you know, animal welfare and things like that. So we would make sure we designed our, our philanthropy programs around those that the staff were involved in. And, and, and we didn't dictate it from afar. We would put committees together and, and, and they would give recommendations on here's, here's what we want to do this year. And we would give them a budget every year that they could work with and so many hours of time that we'd be willing to put forth as a company. And, and, um, it was wonderful. I mean, we would do all, a lot of different programs. And because the staff felt empowered and a part of the decision-making, they really mm. they got into it. Yeah, awesome. We've definitely done some things well some years and things not so well other years. And I, I, I think it's, a, it's, it's some really great advice there in how to make sure that you're kind of setting things up for success on a yearly basis. It kind of needs to have some structure attached to it, right? Because otherwise it can be very, especially in more challenging market conditions, it can be one of those things that, oh, unless there's structure to it, isn't always done as well as it can be. And that's an interesting thing when you talk about budget, when you talk about ours as a company, that we want to commit to it. How did you How did you go about ensuring that it was kind of part of the fabric of how you did things? Is it Was there monthly time? Is it more of, a, of an annual setup? What, what, what were some of those details that would be good well, to learn? We would, we would have a philanthropy committee and they would, they would present at every one of our staff meetings in terms of the stuff that they were working on or the things that you know, we were committed to doing over the course of the year and update everybody on how things were going. We would also, we encourage the staff to let us know if there was something more individual that's important to you. If somebody had a child with cystic fibrosis and they were trying to raise money for cystic fibrosis, we would always donate or do sort of a drive amongst the, amongst the company. Or if there was a, um, you know, they were building a new playground at a local school and they wanted volunteers. And, you know, so we, we tried to, make sure that people felt comfortable coming to us and saying, Hey, I'm involved in this organization would, would finger paint be a part of it. And we would always say yes. You know, it wasn't, and it wasn't always stuff that required money. It might be volunteer work. It may be designing a new logo for a, for a charity gala, uh, something like that. It, it was, we would, it was a big part of what we did. 
it'd be really good to hear. I know a, a large part of the book is talking about, you know, and it describes it as why guys like me need to show up, step up and give others a hand up. Um, be really interesting to to hear. We've got a very senior listenership base. There's lots of people, VPs and above, and lots of CEOs mm-hmm. that listen to the pod. Like for individuals that maybe aren't as far down the line as they'd like to do so far, what are some things that, you know, you learned from doing the book, Ed, that, that, that others could take away from? Yeah, I think a lot of it is just getting to know the, the issues in your community, volunteering on a, you know, with a nonprofit that may be tackling something that you're very passionate about, childhood hunger or homelessness or uh, health inequalities or literacy, and just getting involved and trying to meet people in different communities that you normally don't have access to. I know where I live, I live in a very 98% white community and 20 miles away is a large, large black and Latino uh, population. And we don't cross over a lot. We don't mix together. We don't run into each other at the grocery stores and things like that. So I would encourage people to make an effort to get outside of their comfort zone and, and go into communities that you normally aren't familiar with and meet people and talk to them and find out how you can help. You know, it's, uh, it's, it can be some of the most gratifying things you do in your day, you know, and just, and just get out of that comfort zone a little bit. One of the things uh, previously I was going to ask is about how um, companies and leaders can avoid tokenism. One of those things that we know now and compared to maybe years gone by is that there's so many different causes, so many awareness days, so many awareness weeks that go on throughout the year. Right. And at times it can feel like a bit of a minefield about, wow, what are we meant to be supporting, what are we not? And how do we av- avoid it looking like tokenism where you're just jumping on a bandwagon, but we ne- never do anything uh, uh, about that. Have you had any experiences of where you're trying to do too much, Ed, and, ha- and how you can maybe counter and avoid doing that? Not not necessarily too much, but making sure that we picked our spots, I would say, um, you know, and listening to other people when the George Floyd murder happened in the States and everybody was getting involved in, in donating money to various causes. You know, I reached out to the African-American people in our company and said, you know, help guide me through, you know, where should we uh, put our resources and money and what would have the biggest impact and things like that, as opposed to me sort of, you know, throwing a thunderbolt from above and just saying, this is what we're going to do. And it was good that I did that because some of the organizations that we were going to support, they didn't recommend that we would. And uh, I wanted to make sure that we were authentic and true to our staff and and true to the causes. So um, I would say just do a good job of listening. I think as entrepreneurs and as successful business people, a lot of times we feel like we have to have all the answers and uh, that's not the case. And um, I, I learned that definitely through my journey with business for good that I, that I needed to be a better listener and not come in and say, this is what we're going to do. I know what you need. Um, and here you go. And I think, uh, that's been a big key to our success. What role and what position would the, the giving back element have when you were looking at hiring Ed, was it kind of, was it as early doors as that where you, you always wanted individuals within your organizations that, that cared for stuff? Would you, would you, would there be some roles that you really wouldn't have asked these kind of questions at all? Was it, was it, was it, you know, ingrained from day one with people? Yeah, I think people would, would look to us because they felt like we were a great company that did great work, but also had a, had a heartbeat. And uh, we would ask people during the interview process, what causes are important to you? And some people would have a list of 20 and some would have very little and it was okay. It wasn't like we, I don't want to give the impression that we wouldn't hire a very talented writer if they weren't, this altruistic philanthropic person. But what I have found is that even the people that weren't truly very involved in giving back and embraced it and enjoyed it once they got into our organization. Um, 
And even if it was just donating their talents. So, but we, we would ask that during the interview question, just to get a sense for who people were. Are there things that looking back now, Ed, that you'd have done differently? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I think um, just continuing to hammer home to people that it's not just about writing a check. You know, if, if we're making a donation here, a donation there, that that's great. And, and a lot of times, you know, these organizations really need it. But I would say, you know, teach the staff that there are a lot of different ways to give back, whether or not it's volunteering your time, working at a soup kitchen, you know, delivering meals on wheels to people that can't get there, you know, not very mobile. Um, it, it's not always just about writing a check. And that that was a big part of our philanthropy manager was trying to encourage that, you know, toy drives, things like that, that, that people really get uh, passionate about and making it fun, mm. you know, not having it seem like a chore, but, uh, you know, create contests among the staff. And I remember one time we, there was a, uh, a food pantry that needed stocking of their shelves. So we created teams and we raided a grocery store and you had to get certain things. And it was a, it was a race and, you know, there were prizes and all that kind of stuff. And, and people had a ball doing it because they're competitive by nature. Mm. And we, you know, as opposed to just somebody going and buying, buying food. Absolutely. Yeah, that's, that's that's a really interesting angle that in terms of, as you say, make, making it fun, it, it, it just requires a bit of energy and a bit of thought attached to it, right? It requires some ring fencing of this is when we're going to get together, this is what we're going to discuss. We want to make sure that it isn't, you know, just doing it because we feel like we should be. It's kind of doing right. it because this is the, the fabric of what we do. This is the right. DNA of what we do, right? Yeah. Um, and interestingly, yeah, because, you know, businesses it's very rare that you have a straight line of growth as a business, right? You, you, it, it will be very much roller coaster vibes. There'll be good years. There'll be bad years. And there's a lot of businesses and a lot of uncertainty in the UK economy at the moment. The States is faring a bit better as we said, but we've seen a, a, a downturn economy, unfortunately in Germany at the moment. Like, do you think there's a, is there been some learns that you've had of how to make sure that you're consistent regardless of what your, you know, what your business performance is doing? Yeah, I mean, we we would try to to allocate a certain percentage of our of our profit to to giving back, and obviously, if that swung negative or we had a few lean months, we would have to scale that back a little bit. We never, yeah. it, it was always easier to give away more if you had a great year than, you know. So we'd start out with a relatively conservative budget, and then if if we had a really great year, then we maybe do some some different things and and, and give some more away, but. Yeah. Nice. So we, we never yeah, went out absolutely. assuming that we were going to have this massive philanthropy budget and then had to chop it in half because, you know, we had a bad quarter. Uh, so that worked well. Yeah, gotcha. Now that's a, it's this kind of level of detail, which is which is great to learn, Ed, to be honest with you. Um, and, and for other CEOs and entrepreneurs that are wanting to get into philanthropy, of wanting to, you know, uh, of wanting to get things started, uh, you, you gave a good suggestion earlier about you know, asking your staff, but what about for individuals? Because it's, it's very clear that you've obviously got a passion for it. It's very clear that, you know, the, the, the contents of the book is kind of how to do things the right way and, and, and serve both purposes of having a profitable, successful business, but also being able to make an impact on society. Probably buying the book's going to be a good start Ed, to be able to, <laughs> for, for people to get some ideas on it. But would, would there be any other bits of advice that you could suggest uh, with, with people listening that want to get started? I would just think that try to have a recognition of how blessed you are if you're a CEO that is that has done well financially and and how everybody says, well, you, you worked really hard, you earned it. Well, a lot of people work really hard, but there are people that are just very, very fortunate along the way. And and I know for me personally, my wife and I made more money than we ever dreamed of when we sold part of our business. And, you know, we looked around and said, 
you know, we paid off our mortgage. We bought a, a really nice second home. And then we said, you know, we're good. I don't need a house in the South of France that I'm going to, or a flat in the South of France that I'm going to visit two weeks a year. You know, I don't need a house in Deer Valley to ski where I, where I can just, you know, rent one for a month if I wanted to go out there. And just this recognition that life is short. My father died at, at the age of 41. I was 18. And it taught me that, you know, you never know, right, when when your time is going to be up. So why not try to make the best world you can while you're here? You know, I'm, I'm 56 right now, and, and I'm sure a lot of your CEOs are, are in a similar age group or maybe even a little bit older. We're playing the back nine, right? So, I mean, we've only got a, you know, I might have 10, 20, I have 20 years left if you look at the actuary tables. So, you know, I want to try to do as much good as I can while I'm still around. Um, it, I will tell you, it is, it is, I do it because I, I can, but also it's the most rewarding work I've ever done. And as CEOs, you're always stuck in that grind, your head's down, you're stressed, you're driving for profits, you're driving, you know, to make shareholders happy or whatever. And it's really wonderful to be able to step up, take a step back and realize how, how blessed we are. And, and, um, it really reinvigorates your soul when you can, when you can try to help other people. And, you know, what we've done at Business for Good is, is tried to create a different model uh, for, for philanthropy where we're, we're trying to address the wealth gap in America and helping people uh, either start or grow their own businesses. We're focused on injecting resources directly into the communities. And uh, it's, been, it's been a wonderful three-year journey so far. What, what, what have been the biggest learn during that so far for that business for good? Because as you say, there's a huge difference said between running an organization where you give back to society and it's part of what you do, but it's part of it compared to business for good, which is its sole purpose is to do that. What, what, what have the learns of the last three years been? Yeah, I think um, one of the things that we've tried to do with our model is we haven't hired a lot of people from the nonprofit world. We've hired people with business backgrounds marketing backgrounds, finance, operational, et cetera, to try to use business to help level the playing field. And uh, our belief has always been that, that a lot of the societal problems that people face are directly tied to not having enough money. If you have, if you're hungry, if you have uh, housing insecurity, if you have inadequate health care, if you have uh, educational deficiencies, things like that, a lot of that is solved through money. And to try to get people up the income curve is really what we've been all about. And, and I think that's been the biggest learning is, is just trying to address a lot of these challenges through the, through the eyes of an executive. You know, we're, we're you and I and, and all the other entrepreneurs and CEOs out there, we're problem solvers. And a lot of times when you go in and you look at some of these societal problems and you look at it through the lens of a business person, some of the solutions become pretty obvious pretty quickly, as opposed to looking at it, you know, where you're just sort of swirling in this nonprofit world, just trying to put a Band-Aid on a gunshot wound. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's quite thought-provoking stuff, Ed, for sure. Um, it'd be really interesting um, to hear if, 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 there've been a, if there's been a great book that you've always gone back to, which has really helped you uh, with, with, with these type of thoughts or podcast or movie that you'd recommend, Ed, uh, that you've taken some long-lasting learns from? Yeah, there, there's a great book by a woman named Isabel Wilkerson called Cast. And it talks about how throughout society, individuals have been held down economically and financially due to bias and, and how that has been perpetuated throughout the generations. And, and for me, you know, we talk about white privilege and, and all that stuff. And I never felt privileged when I was getting up at three in the morning trying to work to make payroll or to, 
you know, when I was scrapping to try to make sure that I could keep people employed or worrying about this or that. But when you when you read this book, you realize a lot of the disadvantages other people had that you took for granted. And it sort of opened my eyes to the fact that while I did work really hard and I did feel incredibly blessed, I had some definite advantages that other people didn't have. You know, my parents own their own home, so I could take out a loan against their home equity if I needed $10,000 to start a business. Or, you know, I had access to mentors, you know, other old white guys that had already done it. So I could ask them, what's the difference between a C Corp and an S Corp? What's the difference between, you know, why do I need business insurance? How do I set up payroll? A lot of the folks in some of these underserved communities, they don't have resources like that. And uh, that was one of the big things we were trying to address with Business for Good is, is, is giving these people access to the stuff that we had so that they can thrive on their own. And if there was one learn that you'd want our listeners to take away from, from, from your journey so far, Ed, what would, what would that one learn be? That what we're doing is working. You know, I'll, I'll give you an example. We, we helped a single mom, single black woman who owned a flower shop. She was a nurse for 30 years. And she, she started a flower shop about three years ago, and she put four kids through college. I don't know how she did it. She was a nurse at, at, at the local hospital for 30 years, and she put four kids through university, which over here is you know, a quarter of a million dollars a piece. And uh, she started this little flower shop, and we went in and met her. We're, we're really impressed by her story. We gave her a small grant. We redesigned her website, put an e-commerce component into it. We refrigerated her van so she could deliver flowers uh, in the summertime. But the biggest thing that we did is we connect. I connected her. I called up the guy who runs the hospital, who I know is a friend. And I called him up and I said, hey, Dennis, who does your flower shop business And uh, at the gift shop? And he said, you know, I don't know. We farm it out. And I said, well, I just met a woman who worked for you for 30 years. Can you get her in there? And he's like, absolutely. So this, this little flower shop where we made a couple of connections. She was doing $35,000 a year when we started. She's now making six figures. And I don't know how to be a florist, but I can help piece some things together that she may be lacking and make some connections for her. And she's off and running. And we're creating this ecosystem, specifically in the Albany, New York area, where we're, we help two black female attorneys start their own law firm. We helped a funeral parlor uh, owned by a single black female grow. We started the Albany Black Chamber of Commerce. We, you know, and just trying to create this ecosystem and all these people working together, which a lot of times we have in the white community and, and they're all lifting everybody else up. And it's uh, it's been an amazing journey. And and uh, I just want to emphasize that I, I have we've been self-funding our, our nonprofit ourselves. We haven't asked anybody else for donations because we wanted to prove the model out. And now we want to be able to, you know, I, w- I would love for other CEOs to join us on this journey because what we're doing is working. And if they want to mm-hmm. tackle something in their own community, just, you know, go to the BFG website, read the book. But there's 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 really re- it's it, 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 we're seeing really positive change. It's been heartwarming. Yeah, I love it. I absolutely love it. I mean, our, our business ethos is empowering people to succeed and ultimately uh, you know, we know that we've got a very uh, Victorian education system in right. the United Kingdom, which is very much fixated on well, how how good are your grades. And I think that can make a lot of people that aren't naturally academic feel pretty low about themselves from quite a young age. So I think the reality is, in an industry like ours, which is very much a people-led industry, a services industry, um, we try and get out into some schools to do just that to make sure people realise that there's a lot more to life than just academics can offer you, right? And I think um, some of the bits you mentioned there 
feel like they've got some they've, 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 they've been good for my brain I've been scribbling some stuff down thinking oh we could do that we could do that so I think having conversations and hearing stories what you've done with BFG and, and what you've done Ed is, is really inspiring but also so so great for for idea creation right I'm sure that's what half the time it's all about yeah and and you know, I barely graduated from college, so it's not the it's not the um, you know I I would venture to guess that a lot of the CEOs and a lot of the people that you deal with were just scrappers. They worked really really hard. They had incredible people skills and personal skills. They could talk to the janitor just like they could talk to a chief financial officer, and that they you know that they were leaders and and had empathy for others. It's not always the smartest person with the best grades that that succeeds, right? And um, I'm certainly emblematic of that (laughs) absolutely absolutely no it's been great ed thank you so much for coming on and sharing your journey and talking about your learns with us today um i know that there'll be loads that people would have taken away and and thinking about in terms of ideas so thanks so much for coming on and thanks everyone for listening if you enjoyed the episode please give a five-star rating and do share with others in your network thanks again ed thank you